Hello, Evangel Church small group leaders, and welcome to the sixth week of the Fulfilled series podcast for our small group leaders. I'm your host, Pastor Bobby Nemeth, and I'm just so excited for the journey that we've been on. This is our final podcast in this series, and I can't believe it. I mean, I've just been overwhelmed at this series and everything that we've been learning together and what we've been studying about in our groups, and I pray uh, in my heart that every group has just experienced the wonderful uh fullness of who Jesus is as we've looked at the prophetic pictures of Jesus. You know, we've seen him together as God with us. We've seen him as our King of Kings, as the anointed one, our healer, as the suffering servant uh, and our redeemer. And then now we look forward to him being our risen savior and ultimately to our celebration in Easter, where we get to see him as the one who is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And so we look forward to that wonderful day that we get to celebrate together. But before we get there, we're going to get there on the journey of reading through these pictures uh, this week about Jesus being our risen Savior. And so this week's reading is all about those pictures uh, and all about those passages that point forward to the victory of Jesus. You know, this week we kind of are reminded of the two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're sad and they're dejected because here's the uh, here's the issue for them. You know, when they see the suffering and death of Jesus, they thought loss, they thought disappointment because messiahs do not get enthroned on Roman crosses. That's not their end. No, messiahs defeat Romans, they overcome them, they conquer, they win. But you see, God had a different picture of what the victory looked like. You know, Jesus trampled over death by death. And through his victory, what everybody gets to experience is new life. Because Jesus comes bursting forth from the grave. The stone gets rolled away. The linen get wrapped. And the tomb is empty, forever letting everyone know that Jesus overcame death. He's now risen. And he comes along these two men on the road to Emmaus. And this is what he says to them, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Because they were foolish, these two men. They were slow of heart to believe what all the prophets had spoken about. They missed where the story was pointing to all along. And so Jesus begins to explain to them what had ha- all, why all these things had to happen. And he does this from their very scriptures. And probably some of the passages that you'll be reading this week are some of the very passages that Jesus was alluding to in order to talk about his very victory over death, hell, and the grave. And so what we get to see is that Jesus is now the victorious one. He is the one who's overcome it all. And he's been vindicated. His cross is not defeat. It's not disappointment. It's not a scandal. It's not what everybody thinks about that it's foolishness, but rather it is the wisdom of God, which ultimately leads to his plan of defeating the greatest enemy that has overcome us since the garden, and that's death. And so this week, we're looking at those stories that shaped the way the early church read their scriptures, because the resurrection is the thing that changed everything. It is the key that unlocks the truths to Christianity 
Christianity. Ultimately, you can understand everything about Christianity, but if you don't understand the resurrection, you're gonna miss something. And so we're gonna look at these final week's readings that are concerned with these passages. So turning to our small group guide, you know, one of the questions that we need to ask is, what is your earliest memory concerning death and how did you respond? You know, this week is all about focusing on the victory of Jesus over death. And I think it's important that we begin to wrestle and grasp with the gravity of death itself and how it is this harrowing and painful thing. Um, You know, when people are struck with the mortality, it's this really rushing idea. And there's a moment in our lives where we realize and grasp this. Um, and, and, and so we have to begin to process and think through this. And yeah, I, I mean, I could go back and I could think about maybe some pets that I lost as, uh, you know, when I was younger and think about that. But I, I know the first time that death really struck me was when my Aunt Helen had died. And she died when I was about nine or 10 years old. And it was at that moment where death really hit me squarely. Uh, you know, I grew up and she was, you know, much older. She's my dad's aunt. So she's my great Aunt Helen. And I, I remember being asked if I wanted to go to her funeral, and I didn't want to because I didn't want to face her death. It wasn't something that I wanted to come to terms with on my own. And so that was the first time that I was really struck by the painfulness of death, and I was struck with its gravity. And so I, I, I shied away from it and, and I, because I, I realized, like, wow, this is goodbye this is like the end. Like I, I, I will never have another conversation with her. I will never get to know her again. Like there's nothing. That's it. And I, and I mean, there are some times now where I'm like, oh man, if only I would have. But you know, I was nine, ten years old. I, I, I didn't know any better. But that was the first time where I really got struck with the with 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 death. And the moment I encountered it, I just kind of ran away from it. Uh, and, and that to me was was really shocking and and, and and really painful. And and that's, you know, those are some of the kind of things that you're probably going to come up with this. And this might actually be a really painful experience going through this. This might even invite some prayer moments for some people who are dealing with some issues about people who died in their lives uh, that they need prayer for. So you're going to need to be really sensitive here. But We really need to get struck with the gravity that death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. You know what Paul says? He says the last enemy to be defeated is death. And so we have to know that all the goodbyes of of earth are going to be replaced in eternity with the welcome of Jesus uh, in the end. Uh, And so that's that's what we're waiting for. Um, But until then, we're going to be faced with some serious goodbyes, and they're going to be painful but uh, through the grace of God, you know, we're not going to grieve, as First Thessalonians says, as those who have no hope, because we have the greatest hope in Jesus that one day we will all be raised from the dead. So encourage each other with these things like Paul encourages us in First Thessalonians chapter 4. So as we reflect on the readings this week and we look at what fulfillment passage stood out to you the most, I know for me, day 35 was really important. Uh, here we come together around Psalm 2-7. And, and Psalm 2 is just so central. Psalm 2, 7 through 9 are just so central in its application to the early church in terms of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Messiah and ultimately the fulfillment of the Davidic promises. And this is why we couple it with Isaiah 55, 3, where it says, incline your ear to me, listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Um, 
and, and this is what really is being alluded to by Paul in Acts chapter 13. And, you know, he says, I'm going to give you the sure and holy blessings of David. And what is that? That, you know, I'm going to raise up another person and uh, in the line of David, and he's going to be the Messiah. And ultimately, this is Jesus, and this is proof uh, in his resurrection from the dead. So for me, this is one of these really important passages that talk about, you know, that Jesus is shown to be the Son of God in power through his resurrection, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the resurrection becomes this really big key to understanding Jesus as being the fulfillment of the Davidic Messiah as he, in his resurrection and ascension, is enthroned on high in the majesties of heaven at the right hand of God. And so these are some really this is a really key and important text that I that I think um, stands out greatly to me. The other two passages that stand out for me are days thirty nine and forty, and these are really brought together in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, fifty four, and fifty five. And there he's borrowing from Isaiah twenty five eight and Hosea thirteen fourteen. And so we kind of separated them because we wanted to take their context. Um, uh, you know, separately in each of these. And for, you know, for me, it's it's this passage, um, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul is reading and he says, uh, Paul's writing and he says, but when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know, Isaiah here is looking forward to a future when God will return again to his people. And when he does this, this will be the victory over all things. And the final enemy there that will be defeated is death. And so that's the glorious future that we're looking forward to. We know that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And what we're waiting for is the fulfillment of that when we all share in his resurrection. You know, what does is, what is 1 John say? When, when we see him, we will be like him. How? In his resurrection. And so what, what he says in Hosea um, there, he says, oh, uh, rather 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 55 through 57, he's quoting from Hosea and he says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, this is really important because here Paul actually flips uh, what's going on there originally in Hosea, which was supposed to be a judgment passive, passage, but now Paul is mocking the powers of death in the grave, asking them where is their victory and what happened to their power. Its rules been abolished, and now those who trust in Christ will stand in victory. And that's the ultimate hope that we have to look for in Jesus, that because he has risen from the dead, that those who trust in him, those who are born again of the Spirit, those who are sealed by his Holy Spirit, what's going to happen to them? They're going to share in his resurrection. Why? Because we are the sons and daughters of God, and that's it's just a wonderful, awesome, and abiding hope. The fulfillment passage that surprised me the most this week is the Jonah passage in day 36, where, you know, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And Jesus picks up on this in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 40, and he says, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. Uh, for me, this is one of the most peculiar things in the passage. Um, it, it, it just, for me, is just real surprising that he grabs at this prophet who's preaching to Nineveh, and, and, and his preaching is a sign 
um, that God will deliver the people at their repentance. Uh, but the interesting thing is that when the Pharisees see this sign, they don't repent like the Ninevites do. So the wicked Ninevites repent when they hear the preaching of Jonah, but when Jesus is risen from the dead and he leaves the tomb just as he said he would, the Pharisees would not repent. They would not accept the sign that would be given to them. And so for me, this is the most surprising thing because the tomb was empty. The Sadducees, they make up a story about it. But yet, people just don't accept the reality of the fact that the tomb is empty, Jesus is risen from the dead, and now he is Lord over all. For me, the challenge that rocked me the most was day 36, where it says, Jesus' death and resurrection bring the message of grace and salvation. Faith in him saves us from the judgment of our sin and brings eternal life. And who do I know that is running from God's plan like Jonah? Pray for them. There are so many people who have known Jesus and have walked away, and I could think of somebody uh, in my life who was real formative in the early years. I can think of two people, actually, super formative in the early years of my life who now I know are not serving the Lord. And to me, that just wrecks me. Um, And I think this is a sobering moment to even think and pray about those people uh, and, and, and pray that God redeems them. Pray that God rescues them. And maybe you can even invite them to an Easter service. I don't know if they would be open to doing that, but you might even want to uh, encourage your group to reflect on this question and say, you know, is there anyone who, yeah, they, they already knew the Lord, but they walked away. Maybe they need a reinvitation, or maybe you just need to call them up and try and encourage them again. But uh, the, the, I've got to remember these people more in my prayers. And so I was really rocked by this reflection Uh, this week. It's the thing that challenged me the most out of all my readings. Um, You know, it's, it's, you know, overall, it's, it's always important that we're, that we're being challenged to live in, in light of the future, that the future, that our future should constantly be shaping our present, that one day we're going to be raised from the dead. And that should be shaping our lives, that, that we get to live forward towards this future, that we're going to be a, that we're going to live out as sons and daughters of God in, in, in reality. And right now we get to see a portion of that. Uh, in our lives, but one day fully. And so we get to live into our future. And that's an awesome thing. But I but I also think, um, you know, it's really challenging to think there are some people who have get, been given their birthright, and then basically they sold it for whatever, like, you know, like Jacob did. And uh, so I'm just kind of reflecting on this now as I'm, as I'm talking this out loud. But for me, that's, that's really struck me and, and shaken me and, and something that I've been really challenged by in my readings this week as I'm just kind of reflecting on things. Uh, there's no real lingering questions for me this week. Maybe there are for you. But for me, uh, there's nothing really lingering. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and transition now into the three questions that we have for this week. So again, focusing on the issue of death, it's really important to go back to the source of death. You know, where does death come from? Uh, God lays this out for us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And so when we're looking at the problem here, we're just asking a really strong text-to-text question. You know, what's going on there in Genesis chapter 2? It says, um, I'll just start in verse 15, the Lord God took the man Uh, who's Adam, and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and watch over it. And verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You may eat from any tree of the garden, uh, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so this becomes really the issue for Adam and Eve, that they can't eat from the fruit of the tree. Uh, And so 
you know, what you almost need to tease out now is the rest of the story. What happens? The woman is deceived, and then she and then she eats and gives to her husband who are with her in chapter three, but yet they don't die in that moment, which is really interesting. Something happens to their relationship with God. And so most people talk about the spiritual death that happens, which I think is is a reality. But what also is very interesting in this is the very next story is a story about their offspring killing one another. Well, well, one kills the other. Uh, in there where Cain kills Abel. And so the very next story that you see flowing out of them doing the very thing that God told them not to do is a story about death. James actually encapsulates this story in chapter one of, of his epistle. And he talks about this in verse 13. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But he says this, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And so what happens here? The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for eating. She saw it was desirable to give one knowledge. And then what happens? Um, she takes and she eats of it, gives to her husband, and then the change happens. And so what does James say? And then he says, then after desire is conceived, she eats of it, it gives birth to sin, They Adam eats of it, and then when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And so what happens? Sin leads to death, and this is the problem. Every single person is under the bondage of death ultimately. Why? Because all have sinned. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5. If you go all the way to Romans chapter 5, Paul is saying that every person who sins um, will experience death because they sin. Uh, And so sin and death are these strange bedfellows, and we are caught up under their rule and reign, and what we needed was Jesus to come and redeem us and rescue us. So why are we trapped under the power of death? Why? Because we sinned in the garden, and I like the way to quote one ancient Jewish writer. He said this, um, here's the issue, each and every one of us becomes our own Adam. It's not simply that Adam sinned and and carried us away, which did happen, um, because his fall was not uh, his own, but rather those, uh, those who are his ancestors. But you know, the story of Adam and Eve happens every single day. It's not that it happened, it's that it continually happens with you and I, that we're continually following in, in our sins and the people we know around us are, are following and trapped by our sin. And this is why we need to continually rely on God's grace and mercy every single day. So as we turn to our next question, what we're really focusing on here is a text-to-self question. Here we're invited to read Romans 6, 8 through 10 and talk about um, how the resurrection has changed everything and so share our testimony of Jesus changing our lives. You know, we've been meeting together now for, this will be your sixth week of being together. I think it's a great time, if you haven't already, to share your testimony. Maybe there's one or two people you don't know their story and you'd like to know a little bit more about it, but I think it's really important that we share our testimony of the victory of God. Why? Because we oh, they overcame him by the what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and loving not their lives unto death. So there's an importance in us sharing our testimony in our overcoming. And so what does Paul say here? Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we, um, we will be raised with him. We will live with him also because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him for the For death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lived, he lives to God. And so it's the... 
Um, and then so he continues, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, probably should have taken it to there. Um, and, and see, that's the important thing to capture, right? That we're a new creation in Christ, that we've been made alive with him in his resurrection, and therefore we have a new life. And so we need to take time sharing those testimonies. So I think this is a great week looking forward to Easter to share those testimonies because your testimony might be the most valuable thing that you're doing that you're sharing with someone as you're inviting them to Easter this coming um, as we're as we're looking forward to Easter uh, in just a week's time. So as we look to our final question, it has to do with Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, and these are some central passages, and it's really about how the future is meant to shape our present, because that's one of the really true and important hopes of Christianity, is that we know the end of the story, and when you know the end, it helps you to understand all the middle parts, and sometimes we get muddled. Why? Because we keep our gaze down into the circumstance rather than up towards Jesus, keeping our thoughts to things above, things that no no, um, I have seen no ear has heard what the wonderful things that God has planned for those who love him. And guess what? God loves us so much that he defeated the very barriers that were between us, sin and death, and that he defeated sin on the cross. He defeated death in his resurrection. And so we look to this promise in Isaiah, helping us to shape our present. And, and, and because this was the encouragement that he was giving to Israel. Hey, it's like, listen, it, it, may, it may suck now, but don't worry. I've got a great future plan for you. This is what Jeremiah 29 11 is all about. You, you know, God has a great plan for you, but you know, in the meantime, it doesn't look good. In the meantime, it actually looks quite terrible. God is saying to them, yeah, for I know the plans I have for you, um, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. But that all that. But what came before that? Hey, listen, you're going off into exile. Life's going to be tough. And when you go there, guess what? Uh, build houses, marry, seek the well-being of the city that I've deported you to, and uh, you know, trust in the Lord during this time. Because know that that my promises for the future are the things that are supposed to be shaping you in the present because I've got a great future plan for you and God's got such a great future plan for all of us. So let's read from the passage in Isaiah chapter 26. I'm sorry, 25. Uh, in verse 6, he says, On this mountain, he's talking here about Mount Zion, and he said, The Lord of the armies, right, the, the God of all creation will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. And on this mountain, he will destroy the the burial shroud, the shroud over all people, the sheet covering all nations. He will destroy death forever. Such a beautiful passage. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove from his people the disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. And then he continues, on that day we said, look, this is our God. We've waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation for the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. God has a glorious future for his people, a future so great and so bright and it's all wrapped up in the resurrection from the dead. On that day, when all 
when all wrongs are made right, when heaven and earth are joined together, when the fulfillment of Jesus's prayer is it comes, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, like a bride prepared for her groom, coming together with the new earth, and there it will be said, now the dwelling of God is among his people. Behold, all things are being made new. This is the future that we have to hope for. This is the future that we have to look for. And this is supposed to be shaping our present because when you know the ending, it helps to make sense of the present. And so what does Paul say in Romans chapter eight? I don't consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared of the glories that are be to be revealed to the children of God. Why? Because we are going to be changed. We're going to be renewed. We're going to be revived. We're going to be restored. And this is the thing that's supposed to be orienting us. And so this is the hope that we all have to rest in and uh, and to be excited in. And so I'm just so excited um, that we get to look forward with excitement towards the resurrection of Jesus, that we get to look forward to these wonderful hopes and this wonderful future that he's prepared for us. Um, and so uh, let me just pray for you one last time as we just conclude our time uh, together through in this podcast and our groups. Uh, it's been just such a joy and an honor uh, getting to do this with you. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's served you well. Uh, and I hope that many of you are going to continue on in our next group series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be called Rooted because why? Apart from me, you can bear no good fruit, right? We need to be rooted and grounded in Jesus if we're going to bear the fruit of love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And and so we're going to be spending a lot of great time talking about being rooted in Jesus and bearing out the fruit of the Spirit through the power of His Spirit that He's provided with us as the marker that He's ruling and reigning on His throne to empower us to live out the life that He's calling us to do. But in the meantime, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we look forward to Easter Sunday together. So uh, I'm just going to pray with you guys and uh, I hope hope that you have great group as your final evening, that you have a fun time sharing testimonies together and just talking about these wonderful passages. Lord, I thank you for every single person that went on this journey together. God, I thank you for every group leader and I pray you bless them in an overwhelming and a powerful way, forgiving of their time, their talent, and their treasure, God, to serve you, to pour into other people's lives, God, to spend time discipling them and helping to be key people and connecting others to the body because we know it's all about being ultimately connected to you and you want us to connect to one another. So God, I thank you for the growth that's happened in this season. I thank you that in our times of reading, God, you've encouraged us, you've inspired us. I thank you that relationships are being formed. I thank you that prayers are being answered. I thank you that, God, you're doing a transforming work in this body through what we're doing. And I just thank you that every one of these leaders are a part of that. God, I pray you bless them, that you keep them, and that you overflow your Holy Spirit in them. I pray that this final week would be a powerful time of just celebrating who you are, the God who is victorious over all. And may every group going into Easter just be overflowed with joy about your victory victory, about your life, about your resurrection, and may that just overflow into that Sunday celebration. So God, we thank you, we love you, and praise you because you're our ruling, reigning, majestic king who is victorious
Vegas overall, who now holds the keys to death in Hades. So God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. And I thank you for every single group leader who's been a part of this journey. God, bless them and keep them. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. It's been a pleasure to go through this series with you. I hope you've been blessed. I've been blessed. Can't wait to hear your feedback as I send out a survey. Probably uh, in the week after Easter, I'll be sending out a survey to every group leader and every group member, just kind of getting a sense of how everyone felt about the season. Uh, We just love to use that data to help keeping informing us about how to make groups better each and every time. So thank you so much for being a part of the journey. Can't wait to to have you uh, on the next part of the journey with us. God bless and have a great week.